Oh, phew. I thought we were in real trouble there for a second. You scared us, you cute little guy. Boop. And... Ah! I should have booped his cute little nose. Don't call me cute. The boop was too much. This is my city. You are on my turf. How can someone so cute be so violent? And... Ah! I said, don't call me cute. Got it. The weekly pseudo-academic roundtable of pop culture analysis with drinking and swearing. My name is Christopher Maverick, but you can call me Mav, and I am once again here with Hannah and Katya. How's it going, guys? Yeah, good. I feel like I should be wearing my bare ears because we're having a cuteness episode. <laughs> well, I just got off a plane, um, so that that'll be fun <laughs> for everyone. Well, I was going to say, you know, I mean, Katya just gave away the theme of the episode, but uh, I don't have ears, but I, but I have my Cosmic Hellcat Nico ears that I should just clip in. I don't know how well they're going to work while I'm wearing my, my podcasting headphones. But. Yeah, that's the other problem. I have, yeah, I have like a bare ear headband that is <laughs> mainly for getting my bangs out of my face when I'm watching my face, but it has ears. It's great. Hannah, where were you? You said you were, um, you just flew back? Yeah, I, I mean, I was nowhere particularly interesting i was ocean springs where i'm from for a bit in mississippi i voted yay uh i took two planes and a car ride to the next town over to vote uh so that's cool the democrat process at work make sure you fill out your absentee ballots for those of you who need to vote in august uh or or, or fly across a couple of states apparently well that was that wasn't the mass that is an absentee ballot it just didn't get sent to me and let me tell you it's so much easier actually than getting it in the mail because of how mississippi works but that's not what this episode is about so uh then no, i was we didn't t- talk about cuteness yeah. and kawaii well, and all the adorable things yeah, actually I mean, funny, oh, no. i was in tuscaloosa visiting my sister and she has two kittens and a puppy <laughs> and it was great <laughs> i i basically had a cuteness vacation <laughs> So how did, Hannah, this was your episode proposal. How exactly did this come about? I know you and I are both very committed to the adorable things. Uh, yeah, actually, Hannah and I's communication consists of sending bunny videos. Uh, yes, actually, <laughs> Josh said, um, so wait, is Katya going to be on this episode? I was like, of course she uh, is. And he said, uh, he said uh, 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 excuse me, I'm offended. And he said, I can just hear it now. I, I know how you both are going to be. And I was like, all right. Well, at least he knows us. Uh, so yeah, I'm actually going to talk in my cartoon voices this entire episode because my throat will die. But yeah, so I was I, I am dedicated to cute things. Uh, I I mean I I bought the adorable woodland animal board game uh, route that we talked I about in our entire episode. We'll have to play um, because just because it was cute animals and sure it's war and empire, but it's cute animals uh, and. More importantly, I introduced you to Slime Rancher. Slime Rancher is amazing. Okay, so we'll we'll talk about Slime Rancher because I actually yeah. have many thoughts and feels about Slime Rancher. But like, 
So I, I was, so I, I love cute, but I didn't think about it too much beyond, oh my God, these things are adorable and I love them. Uh, and then I read, um, a critic named Sienna Guy's work. And I first should say, I really admire her and think that her work is super smart. However, she said that she sees the cute as a sensation of powerlessness and an effective response to weakness. Check out and, the blog post for more details about what we're talking about. Yes, www.foxpopcast.com. There's also uh, some great Sailor Moon nostalgia on there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and I got really mad about it. Um, and no, I actually, when I read that, that was my same response. I was like, uh-uh, no, wrong. Mm-mm. So then I thought, okay, well, why you know you're a nerdy academic about when, this? When, when you're yelling at the book you're reading? <laughs> Especially oh, if it's no. Like, you know you're a nerdy academic when you throw a book across, a, like, at a wall. Uh, and it's not like a novel where a character has died. It's a, a book about our aesthetic categories. And you're just um, like, no, you're wrong. Let me now write an angry letter about why that is and make it I don't know make it into an article <laughs> that lost him very quickly anyway but you know, yes so you know, so, I, I had this knee-jerk reaction I think it's really good to think about why we have our knee-jerk reactions so like what are our assumptions about the cute why are Katya and I mad um is Nagai right at all ever like uh you know <laughs> there's a lot of like vexation about the word cute and the kind of like things we categorize as cute and the more I thought about it the more it bothered, bothered me. So I sort of took a break from writing my dissertation. Don't tell my committee. <laughs> and I binge read a bunch of critical work on the cute and played Slime Rancher, you know, for research. Oh, Slime Rancher. And here we are. <laughs> well, actually, okay. Slime Rancher is actually a really great example, I think, for what I have problem with, the like, her, the, her claims. Because, uh... Her claim. We should actually, claims, well, we should actually say what the claim is first, r- real quick, just so, so they know. Because uh, so the, so the listeners. Sure. Know. Hannah, you 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 looked at this most extensively. So right. Okay. So there, as I said before, the cute is seen as an aesthetic category that denotes powerlessness. Um, it's a, it's seen as something small, um, and it traditionally associated with the feminine, and also sometimes the childish. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So often coupled together historically. And for Nagai, importantly, her version of cute is tied to consumption and late capitalism. And we respond to the cute by like looking to consume it. And sometimes for Nagai, cuteness can manifest feelings of tenderness, but also aggression. There are several uh, critics uh, like Nagai and also uh, Daniel Harris, who think of the cute as like a way for us to think about controlling things um being even sadistic about the cute uh so So my like knee-jerk reaction to when i was reading about this was like that is a very masculine take on what the cute is and that's not a commentary on the gender of like any like the gender identification or like sexuality or whatever any of the people but it is classic devaluing of traditionally feminine and traditionally childlike thing. I find it interesting that you called it masculine, not just because she's female. I found it extremely reductive, more so than just math. Like, it's, I, so it was like, that well, makes sense. I say masculine yeah. because like that is, 
A very typically male yeah, response to it's like, It makes yeah. sense. And I, I, I see your argument. I just think that it's way more complex than that. And, you know, and, you know, all three of us write up a bunch of a bunch on it. But I guess that's kind of what we're going to, you know, try to pick apart and deconstruct today. Because I, th- I think I think she's right sometimes. But as an overarching. I think she, I think she has a good point. I mean, yes, I think she has a good point. I think that that's that's part of it. But I think it's way more complicated. I think especially like it, it from what um, I didn't read. I didn't read all of her book or whatever. I was mostly like glossing um, summaries. So Hannah, correct me if I'm wrong or uh, Mav. But it seemed to me like she was mostly looking at at it from like, like, as Hannah said, like a marketing and economic perspective of like how things sell. Because like, you know, Hannah, you brought up like Hello Kitty and how financially lucrative Hello Kitty and Sanrio and all of that stuff is. Um, So that's definitely part of it. But I was like also thinking of like, okay, well, like I am someone who buys cute shit on the Mm -hmm. reg. I will happily buy cute shit over not cute shit. I am an almost 30 year old woman. Like, and I am, yeah, like Hannah, it's like I had a knee jerk reaction of like, actually, like, that's not why I buy cute stuff. And when I was thinking about it, it's for me, it's like, I don't know, like uh, Hannah suggested... Uh, this guy's uh, was it Simon May? Yes, the book called The Power of You, yes. which has the best cover. I love it. Mm-hmm. Please Google it; it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll be linked. In, it'll be linked in the show notes. And he paraphrases this really great quote from Montesquieu, but basically the idea is that like he talks about Montesquieu's statement um, that like the art of speaking seriously about frivolous things and being fr- speaking frivolously about serious things. And I was like, yes. That is exactly why I value the cuteness, like value cuteness and silliness, because like, and I think silliness is very closely tied to the cute, even though it's a different aesthetic category. But like, I have all, I remember I was specifically thinking of like, I told my, uh, one of my advisors, like half is a joke, but half is not, is that it's like, I take my silliness very seriously and I take my, my, uh, seriousness (laughs) and very, uh, very sillily, because that's a word now. And she like looks at me and she's like, oh no, you're very serious. And I'm like, no, actually I'm not. And I'm like, I actually think that like being silly and cute has a value of recontextualizing things in a way that's really interesting, in a way that's actually intellectually like really interesting. And I think May's Mm -hmm. argument is kind of that, like he talks about like the cute is a way of like ironically kind of joking or poking fun at the way we think about power and powerlessness and a lot of the things that Nagai talks about. And I think that that's... At least for me, that's closer to like that's closer to my experience, especially like when I'm thinking about like cartoons and cute stuff marketed towards adults. Yeah, I mean, like uh, I I also like want to point out that May um, says specifically that the cute challenges our assumptions of who has power and who doesn't, and I think that ties a lot Mm -hmm. in to the gender dynamic that's associated with cute that we've slightly discussed, but I'm sure we'll get more into. Right. Well, I had a specific quote from May. Um, he says, and this sort of ties those two things together, I think, very well, because I had written it down. So he says, and our mania for cute would be grounded in an urge to nurture or else to escape into the reassuring world of the powerless and the innocent to flee to safety and simplicity, which sort of matches up with mm-hmm. the guy. Um, such powerlessness will arouse tender care or 
In a perversion of our feeling of power over the vulnerable and helpless, impulses to sadism. It will evoke protectiveness or perversity or fetishist or some fetishistic combination of the two. Mm-hmm. And so, so the, there he's arguing, and I think he has a, a point, he's arguing um, a need to sort of both um, protect the cute but also to destroy it. And you think about, I'm just trying to think of things like even things like, you know, games like Mario brothers, every monster in Mario brothers is adorable, but you're killing them. But then he also goes on to talk in depth and I'm not going to read a, um, read a uh, quote here because I would literally be end up just reading the entire chapter, but he talks in depth about the, um, about the cute and the uncanny. And he talks about ways in which, in, in which, um, Things that are cute um, have been presented as powerful in a way. And I think and I think he's arguing at one point it was sort of, you know, just sort of a a, a deconstruction. It was challenging the notion of cute as weak. So you'd have you'd have some manga series where the most powerful character is the tiny little. um, Yeah. And also, right. like, but now, yeah. but now that's a trope. It's 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 happened so often right. that I think that now you do have like the fact that the fact that Kirby is super duper powerful mm-hmm. is not weird. Or if you see uh, the the recent Captain Marvel movie, um, hey, you have this cute little cat that has a monster tentacle monster right. inside of it. You know, so that yeah, that cute is to be feared. Right. Cute to be feared is very much a thing that, you know, is sort of taken naturally now. And I think that's worth understanding. But it's so common. And I don't think we can just say that it is that, that it is just, you know, challenging a notion. It's not no, just, think, it's not playing against expectations been, like, anymore. To a certain extent, yes. especially like in pop culture. I mean, I think the, the thing that I, I would still say is that, like, I was thinking about earlier in a very different context. Like, I think like where cute circulates matters. Um, mm-hmm. Cause like in a movie or in a context where it's like entertainment, I think that is true outside of that, especially when it's like connected with like gender performance. I think it, it I don't think it's as normalized because yeah. like, I'm trying to think of like, I mean, so for example, like if I, like I know several uh, of my male colleagues who will wear actually Mav is one of them who will wear things like comic book t-shirts and stuff like that like for to teach um uh never teaching okay. I've, never, I've never i've never taught in a t- i've never taught in a t-shirt period actually oh, well, you did dress up as harley quinn one time though that's different though yes but like yes, I, I, know, that was I, Halloween. I know i have lots of male colleagues that will wear like t-shirts with like cartoony yes. cutish things on them um and that mm-hmm. passes as professional dress yes when, i could when i just said i have done I, that yeah. it is inappropriate and mm-hmm. I've been like specifically told it was inappropriate, despite the fact that the same person who told me this was 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 also had professional connections to several of the, mm-hmm. uh, my male colleagues. So politics of gender with with female clothing, particularly in a professional workspace, right. absolutely. And, like you know, I am very into like things like Japanese stationery. So like my pen case has adorable little bears on it, and like <laughs> I own all this shit. And like it is a thing that people have pointed out to me, like this is unprofessional and unacceptable. And I'm like, you know what? Like it's a notebook. <laughs> um, but I think like the idea, especially, I mean, I think even even the statistics that that Hannah brought up about Hello Kitty, that like most of its market is like what women eighteen to like thirty five. Yes, that's in May's book, right? Like, at least in the United States, in professional circles, that's not something that, like, you really take 
out of the house. Whereas I know, for example, one of one of my my dad's coworkers, she is, um, I believe, Taiwanese. Mm-hmm. Her entire office, and she is like PhD in engineering, badass. Her entire office is Hello Kitty. Hmm. And like, and and like, it was commented on apparently by her mm-hmm. boss, and she's just like, "This is normal where I come from." I have tenure. Ha ha ha. So like, <laughs> yeah, like not even tenure. It was just like I. She's like, I just. She's like, you want to use the patents that I have. So, <laughs> like, what do you what do you want from me? Um, That's awesome. I ho- hope she. I mean, hope she literally said that. Like, you want my. You want to use my patent? So go away. <laughs> I mean, probably something to that effect. Like she was also apparently criticized for wearing mini skirts and was just like. I, I came here to do engineering. Like, <laughs> That's awesome. Bye. What's your problem? <laughs> like, which, what's, yeah, this person, I've never actually met this person, but I'm like, you are my hero and you are delightful. <laughs> but so I think this is one of the things when it's, when cuteness is brought out in public, specifically by women, mm-hmm. I hesitate to say that it's normalized. Yes, I will agree. Certainly. Cause I think that there's a way in which we use fashion to police female behavior in I'm not going to say we don't do it with men, but in a different way than we do with men, certainly in a more controlling way than we do. Like, like um, most, most men can't go to a professional workspace wearing a superhero or a Hello Kitty t-shirt. I could, I totally could. I choose not to where, you know, where, where I work, but, um, but it would not fly as well for a, a woman um, as a professor, as it does. I think for part her. of that is like the weird gender politics of nerd culture. Yes. Because at, at least in the United States, like cute stuff, I feel like is most strongly because it's a pop culture thing is like most strongly associated for a lot of people with like various pockets of nerd culture. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I just, mm, mm. but it's also, I mean, this is one of the things I was struggling to find like a concrete definition of what cute actually means because yes. I vehemently disagree with a lot of examples. Yes, that's because that's why it's so interesting because cute can mean so many things and depending on who is talking about cute, they might use different types of categories to separate out different types of cuteness like uh sweet or adorable or lovable or vulnerable. Uh like all those descriptors can fit with cute even ugliness can be made cute. Oh, ugly dolls. I fucking love ugly dolls. They're so good. My favorite. No, but I just don't really like them. I also have a soft spot for adorable monster things. It's a thing that I love. My favorite comic book. Uh, anyone who follows me on Instagram will know this. Cause I tweeted about it earlier today, preparing for this podcast um, is help us great warrior, which is like a little demon blob thing with a sword, with a bunny on the hilt. Um, Hannah, have I made you read this comic book? You should read it. It's amazing. Um, also has a trans character. Um, one of the first comic books I read that actually had that represented in a not horrible way. Uh, yeah, but so yeah, I'm here with, I'm here for the cute monsters, but like some of the examples were really odd to me. Like, uh, I mentioned this before the show, but like specifically the ones that stuck out to me were people calling ET cute. Yes. And emojis. I'm, I'm, I'm more okay with ET than emojis, actually. Even though I don't find ET. Emojis, I don't think are particularly aesthetically pleasing. Generally, I, they're like kind of generic. I don't know. I just 
We should talk a little bit about, so this is um, a point that May makes in his book, and it actually Mm -hmm. sort of plays into uh, a lot of the logic that, you know, just artistic theory, it's mentioned very much in, in a not specifically about cute, but the concept is mentioned in a couple of of Scott McCloud's books. And we, we, you know, we cite him on the, on the, on it all the time, but um, May points out, he shows a picture of, uh, of a very simple drawing of a baby versus an adult male, um, a tiny bunny versus an adult rabbit, a a puppy versus a dog, and a duckling versus a duck. And he points out um, that um, the the similarities, which are, if you um, cute cues include behavior that appears helpless, harmless, and charming, and yielding, and anatomical features such as an outsized head, protruding foreheads, saucer-like eyes, retreating chins, and clumsy gates. And when you think about this, um, the the visible physical ones um, are very indicative of the way that we make stuffed animals, of the way that we draw Disney-fied cartoon characters, um, be they... Chibi style. Well, chibi style, um, it's a Japanese word, but but even if you look at, if you predate this, and this is why I was hoping Wayne would be on the show, um, manga, early manga and McLeod does talk about this in his book and in the chapters that nobody reads because and also in making comics because they're not really um, about the comic book market in America that much. But manga is very heavily influenced by early Disney cartoons, which were yeah. designed to be cute. Mickey Mouse's giant yeah. eyes um, and Bugs Bunny and, you know, all of those animals um, that made up the anthropomorphic classic cartoon characters are very much designed to be cartoony because as McLeod says, the, the more, the closer to the picture plane and the simplified um, iconic plane that an image has, the more easy it is for us to see ourselves in them. Uh, Charlie Brown is a, Charlie Brown is essentially a smiley face and that, and therefore everybody can identify with Charlie Brown. That's the whole point. He's the, even of, of peanuts, which are very simplified drawing characters in, in the first place, Charlie Brown is even more simplified than Linus or Lucy or Peppermint Patty or anything. And that's how you know he's a protagonist. So I think that there's a thing where where the cute allows us to do that because not only is it simplified, but we also do associate it with babies the way May is saying. We do we do think of, oh, smaller things have I mean, is a baby's eye are baby's eyes really bigger no but they are in proportion to their head so their features um their features their heads are proportionally huge huge Um, yeah to to their body i'm not gonna specifically quote nagai on this and this is not technical language at all but she spends a good deal of her time when she talks about the cute talking about the fact that certain things like babies are kind of squishy <laughs> I actually, I actually do refer to children as squishies, <laughs> which has creeped out some parents that are not like my friend, close friend. I think it's- uh, I guess you won't be holding the baby attention, right? And so, like the the squishy, you pick them up and their bellies are squishy. You go, Wish. The producers and of the, the squi- box podcast do not uh, do not approve of Connie. <laughs> <laughs> Connie's a parent. I, I do this to infant children that I have. I I I know. I know their parents. No infants were harmed in the making. Please cut this out. You're not gonna cut it out. Cut it out. <laughs> <laughs> yes, no infants were harmed in the making of this of this episode. No. 
Or ever. <laughs> By coffee. Or ever. No, I just like hugging babies. They're squishy. <laughs> so yes, anyway, I, I agree yourself. with the guy on this. Babies are squishy. Anyway, the squishiness <laughs> of the cute. And I'm sure that if Nagai uh, were to somehow hear this, she would probably take issue with how I'm putting it. But this is how I'm putting it. Uh, I mean, that's probably the like the only statement paraphrased from her that I agree with. So I, I do find it interesting um, how different theorists of the cute have approached when the cute emerges because uh simon may historically or like in this particular object like historically so like uh simon may thinks about in the west in terms of like the 19th century because it aligns with when childhood as a concept emerged and then nagai is thinking about it in terms of late capitalism and when, you know, like the, you know, that took off. So 20th, 21st century, like there's not much about the 19th century at all in the guy, really. Um, mm-hmm. When I was reading the East Asian Journal of Popular Cultural Studies, um, like big issue on the cute. It's really interesting. Um, it talks about not just Japan, but like China and other mm-hmm. places where the cute's emerging. Uh, Joshua Paul Dale talked about how like Japan actually had the cute emerge in the 1600s when Kawaii images appeared in Pains and Prints. And like the Kawaii, of course, like flourished uh, in the 1970s and later um, in a different way. But, you know, there's there's different moments where people are using the cute. And while I am not an expert in Chaucer um, or Shakespeare, since Nagai published her book, um, which is called Arstead Categories, by the way, if anyone wants to see what we're talking about. Linked in the show notes. You know, like uh, people have started using the concept of acute to apply it to Chaucer or Shakespeare or different, you know, early works that are before the 19th century. So interesting. I, mean, I think Moby Dick is adorable. So. <laughs> it, <laughs> Um, whales are cute, okay? Yes, whales are cute. Uh, can we just mention that there are whale spies one more time? <laughs> oh my god, whale spies. It's the cutest thing. I I mean, I shouldn't want anyone whales to spy and surveillance states and all that in Russia, but, but whale spies also... Oh, whale spies. Also, can we just please talk about that two of the code names for the Russian spies are Cozy Bear and Fancy Bear? <laughs> Cyber like thing. I kid you I not. not it's real. And I have scoured the internet to figure out why. Like I understand the bear thing, because like the bear is like the Russian equivalent of our bald eagle. But why it's cozy and fancy? I have been unable to discover. But I really want to make I want I want a comic strip to exist. Where it's just cozy bear and fancy Whatever bear. did that? In little bear forms. What, like a bear in a little cozy sweater and a bear in a fancy jacket, like hanging out drinking tea. What if we did That's that? What, what if we just did that? What if we just gave Great, up done. academia and we Great. made cozy bear and fancy bear? Great. Done. <laughs> All right. Done. Anyway. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Uh, see, this is the problem with getting Hannah and I talking about cute stuff. Oh, this actually, though, sorry to derail things. But one of the things I wanted to bring up, because we, we, we started off talk, mentioning Slime Rancher. And this is something that Hannah and I talked about. And this is actually one of the things that I wanted to talk about because I think it encapsulates a lot of things that we're pulling from both Nagai mm-hmm. and May. Because I was both like playing Slime Rancher and also reading a lot of people, like a lot of um, reviews of it and player comments and stuff like that. So for those of you who haven't seen Fly- Slime Rancher, go to Steam, look at it now, please play it. It's amazing. Um, 
and adorable. It's so much better than all the other farm games. And they have kitty slime. They have kitty slime. So basically you are, and this is, this, this is important to what I'm going to talk about. Uh, you are a, always a female avatar and you're a female avatar of color. Uh, and you, but yeah, you're going around farming slimes, exploring this like alien landscape, um, collecting slimes in the wild, farming them, taking care of them, like doing different quests and stuff like that. Um, but a lot of people talked about the fact, like specifically the fact that this was like, this is one of the few representations of a specifically non-white female character in a position of power. She's the only person you ever Mm -hmm. see. So, um, so there's no. So that's the only way she gets to be in powers. No, that uh, you can be, you can be a, you can be a woman of color in a video game and be in control, as long as there are no other people in the world. It's not so, well, I mean, there's that, but it's also like there's no like. I think part of it is also because of that. There's really she she communicates with other characters through letters. Actually, throughout the game, you're getting letters um, from what it sounds like a former partner okay. who's back on planet Earth. So she has relationships with okay. people. Um, and by the way, and even people on the island, but there are, there's human contact, but I think especially because there's no like presence of other avatars, you don't have to worry about, like, there's not the same problems that almost always happen with female avatars where it's like, you have sexual fetishization, you have like very weirdly problematic, like interpersonal relationships. Um, and it's just like a delightful game where you get to be a girl following her dreams like ranching slimes. If I could be, if I could go isolate myself on an island and farm slimes, I would. Especially if they're case slimes. This looks also, great. Also, they're it's adorable. worth noting that um, her partner, his name is Casey, and we don't know yes. what gender identity Casey goes prefers. So, and but all of this is to say that, like, actually, I think the way a lot of players respond to this game is actually very much not in sort of like the dismissive way that Nagai suggests the cute operates. Um, a lot of people are actually looking at this game and thinking of it as really, as a, as really positive. And, and it's like for some people, even empowering um, that there's this game. And especially like you can kind of just enjoy the fact that there are these cute, squishy blobs and they're delightful. Also slimes. I got to play slimes in VR. It's amazing. Yep. My one complaint, however, and if anyone who has connections with the slime rancher developers can talk to him about that. I don't understand why you can't pick up a slime and hug it. Yeah. That is the biggest fault I have with that game. The biggest in VR. fault I have with the game is that you can't, they, they sell the plushies of all the slimes, but you can't, well, but not all the slimes. They sell plushies of the slimes, but you can't buy all the slimes. So I want to collect all the slimes in real life because I want to hug them. <laughs> Hugging is important. So, okay. Yeah, there is so an anyway. aspect of wanting to, <laughs> wanting to, wanting to, you know, cuddle and nurture the cute thing. This is what I was about to ask. Like, okay, my motivation for buying cute things. I mean, I will say this. I think the guy makes a good point of like associating it with like the like childishness, like childishness and like this certain kind of like nostalgia. I think there's definitely Mm -hmm. truth to that. Um, But however, like, I think that there's this part of, and this is actually, I think where it also goes back to the 19th century, because I was thinking a lot of, sort of studies in video games and sort of like how games became really central to a like different communities way of like self, um, self con- like con- conceptualizing themselves and their community during the 19th century. And there was this aspect of reclaiming playfulness and childlike wonder and enchantment in the 19th century, which doesn't explicitly re- reference the cute, but is pulling on a lot of the same ideas 
that seem to be coming from cute studies. Well, May talks about, and, and, a, and a lot of other critics do too, that cuteness is about sociality. Uh, I mean, like, mm. I, I haven't got to talk about Sailor Moon or Powerpuff Girls mm. on this episode yet. Please do. I'm bringing them in now. Just like forming a human community of some sort. Um, so, so like when I, I think part of the reason why I had my knee jerk reaction about cute as powerlessness is because uh, Katya and I are of the age when Sailor Moon and Powerpuff Girls rose. No, and that was huge popularity. And that that those were shows that meant so much to me. Uh, and you know, you you saw girls being feminine and cute. But also the main character is named Bunny for Christ's sake. Yeah, but also they were super, they were super powerful, and you know they were, they exposed me to different like ways of being. Um, so and I think importantly, they were powerful, but also still like I mean, because uh, Sailor Moon. I mean, they're all in school. They're all I mean, basically kids. They're yeah, they're teenagers. Really, oh, they're what, teenagers, teenagers or preteens. Right. Preteens into teenagers. Indeterminate, isn't it? Um, uh, do they have exact ages? No, 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 they're they're in middle school when the oh, series starts. But they um, age, yeah. just why the relationship right. between they, anyway, they age enough to they age yeah. enough to date appropriately during the course of the series without it being creepy. Uh, yeah, later. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's another thing. Uh, anyway, yeah. but like, no, I think like one of the reasons because I remember children like I think it's like specifically girls of the '90s that like latch on the Sailor Moon, and most of my female friends, Sailor Moon was a big deal. Because, like, that was, like, really one of the first, like, I, I hesitate to call it feminist cartoons, but it was one of the few cartoons where you had, like, female, fe- like, strong female friendships, and you had girls, like, being girly, but also being human. Like, there's the smart girl, there's the, there's the pissy, angry girl, who obviously I identify with. Um, <laughs> and, like, there's, you know, the, the clumsy one, like, the most powerful one is, like, the clumsy, awkward yeah. one. And Sailor Jupiter, oh, like was an interesting character to me because she enjoyed domestic things like cooking, but also was super into punching sports. People. Yeah. Um, I mean, they, and they all enjoy punching people. Um, I mean, which, uh, you know, was great. I don't I mean, know if Sailor Mercury really enjoys punching true. people. Yeah, true. Uh, but what, <laughs> what, you know, was great about the anime was that it, uh, you know, had more episodes than the manga and the relationships mm-hmm. between, the girls really developed and like there was like this demonstration of sociality around the cute same with powerpuff girls like a lot of their powers yeah. are cute and they work together and it's, 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 it's this girl. idea that it's like you can be girly and feminine but also mm-hmm. be powerful right. because i think so many because when i think there were definitely other female cartoon characters on stuff like cartoon network and everything like that but like the powerful one was almost mm-hmm. always the one like the goth person like the goth girl who was like very badass, like being one of the boys, whatever. You're talking Teen Titans Go with Raven. Yeah, that's actually a really good example. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and like, there's this weird denial. Like, even if it's a female character, there's often this denial of the feminine. Mm-hmm. Even though I think actually Teen Titans made that a part of her character arc. Yeah, well, you guys and you guys are. I should, we should point out, you guys are late twenties now. So we're talking when you're watching mm-hmm. these, you're te- you're you're middle school preteen. Oh, Probably it was earlier than watching. that too. Like I started yeah. in elementary school. Yeah. Okay, so you're in elementary it school. Been, when did Sailor Moon start airing in the states? This is also weird because I watched some of the, I watched some of it uh, in Japanese, but that's another thing. Mm-hmm. So I may have seen it slightly earlier. Okay. Um, um, because Oregon. 
Well, Sailor Moon was originally produced in 91 and, uh, and mm-hmm. um, I don't know when it came to America, um, but um, I think like mid 90s. Yeah. Um, but. but earlier, I mean, one of the things that made Sailor Moon innovative is that with few exceptions and the ones that were exceptions, um, your your Jim and the holograms, your um, your mm-hmm. your Shira, which we talked about on a previous episode. Most um, we could talk about those, but those were a very different idea of femininity in that they were very much, you know, they were very much hey if we turn our superheroes into barbie dolls then girls will like them right. and it was a very sexy male sent male gaze oriented version of femininity which and most of the characters are adults right we, yeah and they're adults which works to an extent um and I, i'm not saying i'm not trying to i mean obviously if you go back to the shira episode i'm not bashing anybody for their love of the old shira cartoons i'm one of those people um but i mean i was a big fan of jessica rabbit right so. but the original like <laughs> Um, kid oriented cartoons that were adventure oriented things like your super friends like when I was a kid um, you know you know, I'm older than you guys but kid oriented superheroes your Voltron your um, your super friends your Spider-Man and his amazing friends you know like they're 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 typically teens or college age and it's a team of boys and one character is a girl whose job is to be the girl like that <laughs> it is it is it very much is you know not only is there not a is she not yes. the most powerful one her job is being the girl even going back to like early x-men like, comic books there's five fantastic x-men four. and or, or fantastic four like, yeah like, like there's early like comics of fantastic four where susan storm despite having really awesome powers is like being grabbed by guys like oh help me and it's super well, annoying in the, in the, in the right. beginning her powers weren't awesome the, the force field thing didn't happen until later um in the right, be- yeah in the beginning, all she could do was turn invisible. And then they're like, this, there's not much story we can do with this because all it's just a lot of not drawing her. So they, so so they had to, they they added the force field thing and then they started realizing how, how powerful that could be. But that took a while early on. It's a lot of her feigning. It's a lot of her making cookies for the boys. It's a lot of, it's a lot of things like that. Her job is to be a mother character and to date the, and to date the leader. That's a, or, or to be, or in, in the classic five, man band um you know voltron you know sort of uh, sort of set up or battle of the planets there's a female character whose job is to be sort of fought over by the lead guy you know the leader and the brooding guy mm-hmm. the brooding guy who's uh, who's most powerful and then when you get to when you get to the teen titans the brooding guy becomes a female character with raven um and then we had stuff like jim and the holograms which were like very much you know boy adventures but we'll just toss them in in as girls and then Sailor Moon's different because they are well, you know, she, she's they designed to appeal to girls. Yeah, designed to appeal to because actual think, girls as opposed right, to Right, because I think yeah. that the thing is like a lot of like the ones where there's the token female character like they're clearly like these are cartoons predominantly for boys or like the generic child which usually ends up being a boy yes. that girls might also yes. like. And even the ones where it's like like yes, yeah, so like Jim and the Holograms it's like well this is just the same thing with just like if you took the same video game and put different avatars on the right. skins. Yeah. Like, but yeah, Sailor Moon was like very emphatically like this is this is a like and I won't say it's perfect, but like this is an this is a cartoon for girls. And um and that interestingly inverts the gender dynamic. There is a token dude who's basically there for everyone to be in love and, with. And he gets uh, kidnapped <laughs> and loses his memory and And has to be rescued yeah. all the time. Yeah, he's and it's great. And, uh 
stupid. She she actually had that. That was yeah, tuxedo mask. Uh, Shira had that. Um, Jim Hutt had that. There's a token guy in Jim as Rio. But, it, but like that's most of the plot of of like a lot of Sailor Moon yeah. episodes. It's like you have to save the damsel in distress who just happens to be. But, yeah, dude. that's Jim in the holograms. Rio's job is to be kidnapped. That's what he's there for: to be kidnapped and to be in and to be in love with Jim. Even though Jer is secretly in love with Jim and torn between her and Jerrica, his actual girlfriend, who, you know, for some reason can't, you know, for Superman type reasons, can't reveal his, her secret identity to him. There's no reason for it. Everybody else knows. But, you know, we've, we can't tell Rio. It's, it's very, very silly. Yeah. Weird, but I will grant, anyway. I will grant Sailor Moon is, Sailor Moon's it is, more it is by, also, far, by far. Sailor Moon, Sailor Moon and Powerpuff Girls. Yes. Yes, the cats are important. Sailor Moon and Powerpuff Girls both, <laughs> like, not only promoted female sociality within the show, they created female communities. Yes. With the fans of the show. And it was so important to me to, like, have a pop culture thing to talk about my with my friends with. I don't know what the elementary, like, equivalent of the water cooler is, but, you know, we'd watch episodes of Sailor Moon <laughs> and we'd talk Recess. about Absolutely. Yeah, swing set. I, I guess months. my child, you know. I remember having some deep conversation mm-hmm. on swing sets, specifically about Monty Python. No, but I think like <laughs> you were weird. Like I think, <laughs> uh, and we are surprised by any of that. Please, uh, we're all weird on this show. I'm very normal. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm su- surprisingly well adjusted. You, you. Cr- <laughs> mm, okay, that's a, that's another episode. Um, no, I think like, not new. Oh, derailed. <laughs> Sorry. Um, no, we're good. Now I was going to talk in cartoon voice because that's what's happening right now. Ooh. I mean, I think that there's this weird. I was kind of thinking about how I don't know because, like, I, like especially the power. Let's so Sailor Moon because Sailor Moon is a much more classically like anime yes. style. It wasn't like made for Sailor Moon. Um, there are different kinds of style within anime that like I'm not super knowledgeable about. Magical Girl and Shoju. It, so that's so. What's interesting about Sailor Moon is we're ta- we're talking from a very American centric uh, point of view because Sailor Moon's not the first show of its kind. It's just oh, no. the one that Sailor got brought Moon here. Sailor Moon in Japan yeah. is. Right. Sailor Moon in Japan is not un- particularly unusual. It was, I mean, it, it, like my understanding in, po- in Japan, it's like quite yeah. popular, but at the time and still, mm-hmm. you know, still but it's is, one but of many. It it's one of like many. Yes. The big deal. Right. It wasn't like the big deal. Um, but I think like, especially looking at stuff like Powerpuff Girls, like, especially when you're talking about like the infantile proportions and stuff like that, and especially talking about a, a cartoon made in the U.S. for a specifically like U.S. Western market. It is more cutesy than a lot of other cartoons. Like, even if, like, I was thinking about, like, the proportions, proportion-wise, the Powerpuff Girls are kind of similar to Dexter from Dexter's Lab. But Powerpuff Girls, like, takes the cute, like, personally. Yeah. Um, and I was kind of interested. It's like, okay, so we do have, like, there, there is, and this is kind of why I, I kind of cut... Uh, Nagai some slack on like, like, yes, like the cute is the feminine because it is traditionally associated like that. But I think that there's something maybe because of that historical connection where I think like a lot more, at least a lot more women and girls that I know identify Mm -hmm. with cute stuff in a way that I don't see with a lot of men. Not, I definitely know men that like Mm -hmm. enjoy their cute stuff, but it seems like, it, it's it more often appeals to women, and I've always kind of wondered. Well, I do want to talk is. a little bit about the bronies in a little bit, but not yet, because oh, I think that's relevant. Well, you know, I, I think, think it's relevant. 
Yeah, you don't know. No, it totally is. And I, I mentioned it. Um, so I guess. Oh, oh, bronies. I guess I was hoping we would talk about it somewhere in my brain. Um, kind of have to. But, you know, I, I think like we we've mostly spent this episode affirming the cute, which I'm 100 percent on board with, <laughs> obviously. Uh, but, you know, like cute is a complicated word because whenever um it's often an insult. Yeah, like I, I've been called cute in a way that's like, oh, you think that you're smart or like have any power right. here. Like, um, she reads comics. It's adorable. <laughs> that kind of thing. Oh, God. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that, you know, uh, men sometimes chafe at being called cute because it's seen as feminine. Mean honestly, yeah, means girl, girly. Not me. I like being called cute. Mm-hmm. Please think I'm cute. I'm adorable. But yes, I, I, I certainly understand how um, it is. It is classically an insight. Mav is doing anime eyes. I am wearing right the cat ears while we were talking. I did put them on. So. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I, I think that, you know, cute has like some connotations to it that work with the Nagai's framework and especially like i think because it's something that's so traditionally associated with childhood and i would push back against like i mean may talks about sort of like reclaim like 21st century the 20 21st century reclaiming childhood as a value and while i think that's true to a certain extent i don't think Mm -hmm. it is to the way that he represents it um because and and again this may be a gendered or regional or whatever experience but like cute and feminine and all the like a lot of associated uh terms are are still usually often associated with like a lack of seriousness and a lack of intelligence like if i roll up to like some academic thing Mm -hmm. wearing mavs cat ears like even if it was relevant to something i'm probably but people are probably gonna be like this person is not a serious academic and they might be a little bit correct because mm-hmm. I ta- as i said i take my silliness very seriously I mean, as someone um, who literally has her students play games at the beginning of ever every class you know like uh <laughs> i support there, this yeah but there isn't a, a negative association with it which i i personally don't think is f- necessarily fair but it's also something that basically i've only been thinking about really Mm -hmm. deeply since Hannah brought up this episode. Um, Oh, one of the things I did want to talk about possibly before we get to bronies, because I feel like bronies is going to derail us a lot is to like loop back to something that um, Mav, you mentioned is sort of like Charlie Brown and like the degree to which we identify with characters, because I was thinking about it from like a game studies perspective of like, Mm -hmm. we have the avatar and I was thinking um, D Fox Harrell like mentions when speaking more specifically about like, uh, players being able to design their own characters and like the idea of creating an avatar that represents yourself, but doesn't quite. And he basically suggests that like the process of creating an avatar or like identifying with an avatar, whether you create it or not is like this kind of like process of critical discovery where you're allowed to like see yourself in something, but see it in a different way. And I think that kind of go back, goes back to May's concept of the uncanny in the way that the uncanny and the experience of the cute becomes like this kind of critical tool for like questioning things. So like the encounter with a cute representation does allow you to rethink, Oh my God, <laughs> Matt just sent us a picture from his cat ears. I can't handle, uh, all of my brain thoughts have shut down. You're welcome. This Thanks, Matt. Anyway, oh, I will never look at you I've the same, sir. Before, yeah. <laughs> I think I've actually seen you in these before. Don't you, isn't there also a tail? Am I making that up? I don't have the. Well, no, there are tells. We, we we don't use it. They're from the Cosmic Hellcats comic strip that I used to write. Anyway, Mavs in, in, in cat ears. 
hopefully we'll put it in the show notes. I will. Because uh, it's delightful. Maybe I'll put a picture of me in bear ears just for funsies <laughs> and camaraderie. Um, unfortunately, that has derailed my entire I don't even brain. know what's happening anymore, um, honestly. <laughs> no. Oh. No, but what I wanted to say is it's like that the idea of encountering the cute actually like allows you to have this critical perspective. So mm-hmm. it's not just that it's fun, but it actually allows you to like rethink your identity um, in a way that isn't threatening. Yes. Um, and because you're, you identify with it to a degree in which you, you, you see yourself in that thing. Like I see myself in my cute, adorable Hello Kitty figurine mm-hmm. that's hanging out um, because I'm like, this is adorable and cute and I like this thing. But like, obviously, I'm not Hello Kitty. Also, interesting fact, Hello Kitty doesn't have a mouth because according to Sanrio, because she speaks in all languages simultaneously. Also, Hello yeah. Kitty is not a kitty. Hello Kitty is a little girl that, yeah, that everybody thinks with a cat hairdo. Yeah, with a cat hairdo. And she's just so yep. simplified that people can't tell. She has a cat, but she is not one. <laughs> yep. um, yeah. Uh, Which I actually means that, like, yeah. Go ahead. I actually do want to loop back to the Powerpuff Girls. I, I um, when we were talking about that, because I think that this sort of goes into what you were talking about just now with the video game characters and associating. And this this is going to loop us back to our where the power of cute thing is that May offers. There is a critic that I have used. Uh, I've cited her in articles. I've cited her in my dissertation when it's come up on the show before. One of the things that I write about is the male gaze a lot and how sexuality is played in comics with you know as sort of a particularly with females sexuality equals power and Mm -hmm. evie kendall she has an article called um there's no one perfect girl third wave feminism and the powerpuff girls and one of her main arguments essentially i'm just going to paraphrase her because it's a long article but i will link it in the show notes if people care um one of her main points is she believes that the reason the Powerpuff Girls were able to become successful is because they were able to completely subvert the male gaze by oh. essentially making them three year olds. You know, they are they are children and they aren't. The, so Sailor Moon, Sailor. They're actually, I think, in preschool. Yeah, they're in preschool. Yeah, they're, they're, they're kindergarten. They're three, something like that. I believe they're three. They might be four in the, yeah. in the original in the original one. I, I haven't read um, Kindle's article in a while, but um, I believe they're supposed to be like three or four. And, and so the Sailor Moon, I, I checked while we were talking, Sailor Moon's 14. Yeah. Okay. So they're five. Okay. Um, Sailor Moon's like 14 when the series starts. And then a couple of them are older. A couple of them are younger uh, of the other sailors, but they, but they're roughly 14 ish years old. They're still, they're still teenagers. It is still among other things. Oh yeah, the upskirt thing is happens. Yeah. And, 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 and well, there's yeah, there's certainly the sexualization visually, but it's still a love story. You know, there's a lot of there's right. a lot of ooh, you know, especially mask, in the so manga. Cute. Like I was, yeah. I watched the anime first. Oh, yeah, it's even more prevalent in the manga. I read the manga and I was shocked about how big the romance was. That's not important mm-hmm. anyway. And there's you know, and and then there's you know, and in a lot of positive stuff too. There are same sex relationships. You know, it's it it, it is mm-hmm. it is a positive, but it is still very much about the emotion emotional side so sexuality takes place in it kendall's argument is that the reason powerpuff girls were allowed to be so powerful and so violent was because they completely subverted sexuality by making the characters so childlike and so cute that they for the most part lacked sexual characteristics altogether if you look at the powerpuff girls they don't even have fingers you know they're they're barely they're barely human looking oh my god have you seen the pseudoscience going around about how they hold stuff it's amazing. Oh, anyway. oh yeah, yeah. Well, but like they're they're so squishy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they are. Yeah, they're squishy, they are. They're, and they're adorable. And 
Um, and that allows and that else. allows us to just sort of like they don't need to be, you know, they don't need to be rescued, but it allows us to not look at them. You know, we, we can we, we consider them female, but we don't look at them as women the way that women are associated in fiction, right, children. children instead. And that actually allows them to sort of escape a lot of the trappings of male gazing gaze theory. Now. It becomes right. weirder. That's kind of what I was saying with Slime Rancher. If you talk, look at Powerpuff Girls Z, which probably neither of you have ever seen, but that is a Powerpuff Girls spinoff that happens when they're in middle school, and it's uh, it's a Japanese anime and manga. Um, so never, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't think it ever aired in this country. But um, I've seen yeah. images of it, and I specifically did not research further because I did not want my childhood ruined. Uh, well, they're, I mean, they essentially look exactly like Sailor Moon. If you're, ta- if you, if you found the right one, there's so, been a couple one of the animation directors from I, Sailor Moon worked on it. Yeah, yeah. There's been there's been a couple mm-hmm. of various attempts. The popular one is they're essentially it's Powerpuff Girls, but it's Sailor Moon, and you know there's benefits to that and and negatives, but it does it um the the Powerpuff Boys take a much bigger um, part in the Roddy Ruff yeah Roddy Ruff uh, boys thank you they take a bigger part mm-hmm. in the in that than they did in the original series and there's a lot you know it it just it changes because by allowing them to be sexual yeah. beings you sort of um you sort of inject that into the story and then and then you have to deal with gender dynamics you have to deal with gender, like, dynamics, right? gender mm-hmm. dynamics in a way that i think at least in theory the cute lets you escape that um may's book talks a little bit about things like et is et male is et female I, we usually say he but i don't know that it's it's not clear it's well, just a little Kirby, kirby's a good example of this or yeah. like a lot of uh cartoon like game characters um like we don't necessarily know what gender yoshi is mm-hmm. unless we read up on it we say he but yeah but visually mm-hmm. there's no there's no there's no denotation visually when you look at him but doesn't he lay eggs yes so you know. well i think that's also i mean so for example like the comic i was talking about earlier um helpless gray warrior like one of the main characters is trans which you would miss entirely it's only really referenced in like three panels where like there's an issue where somebody says like oh isn't your name samson the great or something like that and she's like no actually it's leo and then whatever her superhero title is he's like oh i'll just change your information and he's like wait normally it costs so much money for me to do that like obviously referencing like the the, all of the you know bullshit Mm -hmm. you have to go through with legal paperwork and getting name changes and all that different stuff um and it's kind of it was kind of making me think of that because like unless you paid attention to those panels and a few other things like you would never know because the cute is so like mm-hmm. ambiguous it's just sort of like oh you're wearing a skirt mm-hmm. clearly you're a girl well it's the only reason Minnie Mouse has a skirt uh, Minnie Mouse today is drawn somewhat distinctively but the original Mickey and Minnie if you go all the way back to Steamboat Willie the Mickey and Minnie look identical she has eyelashes and a skirt where he has pants they are uh, they are essentially the same drawing mm-hmm. so so i mean so you're just i mean and i i use this when i'm teaching gender theory and like and 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 visual images when i do my when i do my comic book classes but for instance even things as simple as and this always this always astounds the kids when i show them but i say i I just draw the male and female symbols for restrooms and i say what is this and they say well they're the bathroom symbols and i said what do they mean well that one means boys that one means girls all right good how do you uh, how do you know that and they're like well uh because it looks like a boy and it looks like a girl and i said does it and there's like well she's got a skirt and i say all right and i look around the room and it's like there are 10 women in this room and 
Two of you are wearing skirts. So the other eight of you are using the men's room today. No, of course not. But like, but, Mm -hmm. but yeah. And And I guarantee I would be surprised if any of them were wearing a like knee to calf length A line skirt, which Please, is what to, that would have to neck be. Neck to calf length. <laughs> calf length most, most of the time. She's a trying. It's a moo moo. Like a very voluminous moo moo. Like that only happened <laughs> right. in the 60s, my but, like, people. But, but, that anyway. is, but that is the uni- <laughs> that is the universal visual for, you know, women wear skirts, and that's how you know. Oh, I know what my <laughs> Halloween costume is. You're gonna now. be the bathroom woman. <laughs> yeah. I think it's gonna happen. Um, but so, so we, but we take those little visual identifiers and that's, you know, that's how we do it. So then that becomes, so then the problem mm-hmm. I think becomes since we do associate cuteness, whether it's, whether it's subverted with things like who are violent, like, like Kirby and the Powerpuff Girls, or whether it's, you know, cute and sweet, like, you know, classic Hello Kitty, we do sort of associate cuteness a lot with childlikeness, maybe, maybe because of what McLeod and May say, where, you know, they do look like, you know, Mickey Mouse does look like a baby more so than he looks like an adult, I guess, kind of. Mm-hmm. I, like, I think part of this, and I think maybe this is more true of something like Powerpuff Girls or even Hello Kitty, is I think there's a certain point where it's like cuteness and powerlessness and like a lot of the negative things that go along with cuteness are also things that are traditionally associated mm-hmm. with femininity. So I think there's a certain point where it's like, oh, we've been taught... We are like, we have been conditioned to think of like girliness and cuteness Mm -hmm. as kind of synonymous. Um, And also to think of ourselves as women or like female identifying folks as cute, like being cute is part of being feminine. Um, And so I think there's a certain degree. It's like where I feel like it's also like a reclaiming kind of thing of like, okay, you don't like you guys don't take cuteness seriously, Mm -hmm. but like we do because we take ourselves seriously. And you told us that cuteness was like our thing. Um, like I was even thinking of like, oh my God, I love this. But like Netflix's anime mm-hmm. Agresuko is a very cute anime, very reminiscent of Hello Kitty, uh, about a like, you know, woman about my age in her like mid to late twenties living her life. It is clearly not for children. It's like marketed exactly to people like me and Hannah. And I think part of it is that is like, there is this like erotic twist of like, okay, like women are taken seriously in the business place because they're women. Like that's an entire, like a part of the first series because this is a tiny, cute cartoon Fox, but like she also loves scream metal and is like super into dark shit. And it's like, I I don't know. I think there's something about reclaiming that. And then the idea is just sort of like, okay, like fine. We, we, we accept your bullshit. And I mean, just I grew up and I decided the best thing I could do was buy a bunch of like animal shirts and sweaters and glitter converse. And that is how I live my life now. <laughs> That's the best thing you could do. <laughs> yeah. I'm also pretty sure I, I accidentally bought a Korean K-pop t-shirt mainly because it said tough bunny on it. And it has a very cute pink bunny, but apparently it's for a K-pop group that I've don't know anything about so someone's probably gonna see it and be like you are not a real fan of this thing and i'm like aha this is the one time in my life where that is actually true (laughs) well but anyway i feel like this actually does kind of bring us to bronies though because we were talking about because i mean i mean my little pony was originally supposed to be I mean, it was originally like more like the powerpuff girls like it was for children it was very cutesy specifically marketed towards girl Bronies, bronies is another thing. So, Matt, you had thoughts. Well, yeah, I mean, the bronies are are, are weird in that I think, especially because we're just talking about, we have uh, an, an idea that 
cuteness equals femininity. It also equals childness. Um, and in fact, a lot of what we, and I'll talk about this a little bit later because I, I, with what I want to end with, but a lot of what we do for the idea of making something more feminine is pointing towards a sexiness that is youthful, um, which is to say, you know, of just barely childbearing age. So, you know, very, very young girls, if they want to mm-hmm. look sexier and hotter or whatever, and I mean, I mean, I mean, like seven year olds, you know, like if they want to, if they want to look grown up, you know, you get on the high heels, you plaster your face with makeup, you know, like mom's lipstick. Yeah, exactly. But then once you pass the age of 25 ish, the look of makeup is hiding wrinkles, making yourself look more youthful. So like you have this prime area of idealism, I think that is, I don't know, 16 to 25 somewhere in there, you know, that is like, is like where you're targeting. So on the young end of that, there is like a child, a, a childness, but we don't do that with men. And there's a lot of weird things that go into uh, usually when people in at least in popular on the Internet, um, popularly, I think people use the word patriarchy wrong, but um, they, they mean yeah. just the uh, people who refer to patriarchy as though it is a secret Illuminati. <laughs> that is literally. <laughs> but, it, but it's not. It's actually, you mean it's you not? Know, That's it's, why I have a secret spy organization <laughs> with my whale spies to fight the patriarchy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're not supposed to know about us. No, um, no but, I, but but it, it, it is a system that sets up gender dynamics that that put rules upon men as well as women. And we tend to oh, not yeah. talk it, unless you're doing masculinity studies like I do. You tend to not talk that much about the about the male part. So one of the things that becomes weird is we in much the same ways we train women culturally, we condition and train women to sort of see themselves sugar and spice and everything nice. And, you know, that's what little girls are made of. You know, we train women to sort of value the cute, value the nurturing to, you know, this is girl stuff, wear pink, you know, those sorts of things. We actually train boys not to, um, in a, in a very, you know, these are boy toys, they're trucks, you know, mm-hmm. um, um, snakes and tail, uh, what is, snakes and snails and puppy dog tails. That's what little boys are made of. Um, like those things are, like boys aren't supposed to play with dolls. Boys are supposed to play to play football. You're not supposed to like cute things. And I think that there is. And like to an extent that like you're often taking away like something that that kid actually yes. enjoys. Yeah, like there's yeah, classically, if you know, oh, my God, my son's playing with a Barbie doll. Take that yeah, away. There's a really terrible episode Absolutely. of Friends where Ross takes away like I think it's Barbie from Ben and convinces him to play G- with G.I. Joe by the end. And that's celebrated. <laughs> As, as a, a as a as a yeah. victory, right? As a that, victory. That, that yeah. very much is that very much is a classic yeah. gender net dynamic that that I think yeah. the bronies are kind of a rejection of in a in a very. I mean, I think that that's totally yeah. Right. yeah. There's, a, totally there's a lot of negativeness that now there is a creepy bit to some bronies and uh, which is deserved, but that's not all of them. And I think that um I think that a lot of the negative pushback to bronyism is vestiges of the men must be men culture that led to the bronies, you know, sort of rejecting that in the first place. All, all the bronies are really doing is saying, look, I want to like Twilight Sparkle. Leave me alone. You know, <laughs> like, and, and hello, not hello kitty. Um, you know, my little pony is a cute little adventure series. It's actually pretty good. I mean, so I'm, yeah. I'm curious why, I don't, I, 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 beyond like the things that I read on Reddit, uh, I don't know a lot about brownie culture. 
why why my little pony specifically um you know why did they start with it um my yeah like why like because like that seems to have hit a particular chord that other to be fair i'm not i'm not an expert here i know i know a little bit about a little bit because you know i try to follow if someone listening is an expert on bronies Please let us know. Yeah, or, yeah, I really want comment. to do an episode. Yeah, but, but my understanding is a lot of the explosion of the Brony world happened with um, one particular. I mean, there's many incarnations of of My Little Pony. One in particular is called My Little Pony. Friendship is magic. It was just very popular, and frankly, the two episodes that I saw were pretty good. Yeah, um, and I've not watched a lot. Yeah, I've not watched a lot of it, but I've watched it twice. It's a good show. And, and it was good enough in much the same way as I'm trying to think of an example. Uh, I mean, I like Teen Titans. Uh, I don't like Teen Titans. Go. I, like, I like Young Justice, but Young Justice is a little a little dull. I'm trying to think of it. What's a what's a kid's cartoon that I might like? I mean, there there are some. Oh, well, it's not a kid's cartoon, but, you know, even in all seriousness, I've I'm obviously a fan of Riverdale. I'm clearly not the target audience, but I like the show. And I think, and I think that, um, I, I think that it, it just appealed to a lot of people searching for this nostalgia and they sort of got into it. Some of them ironically, but, but some of them, I think just really, really liked it for the show that it was. And so they started going to, they started having their own, um, their own conventions for it and they had, yeah. And, 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 and then bronyism just sort of grew out of that. So that part's kind of fine. I mean, like, I mean, this isn't like the only, I mean, bronies are the big one. They've had that documentary, uh, called bronies, mm-hmm. um, about their culture, but this isn't like the only thing. Uh, I mean, like there's squirrel girl. Oh, squirrel mm-hmm. girl. Well, squirrel girl. And, you know, we, uh, we, and we joke all the time. Squirrel girl is weird in that it, it's auspiciously marketed for, you know, young kids, for young teenage girls, but, and there are fans but anecdotally, and it's really hard to do, we talked about this on previous shows too, it's really hard to do good, um, good uh, demographic data for comics because of just the ways the market is. Anecdotally, it seems mm-hmm. like your average fan of Squirrel Girl is a white male in his 30s. I would believe that. I don't know that it's really true, but it really feels like that if you, if you ask any retailer from any comic book store in America that appears to be most, and there are, I mean, there are, uh, there are 12 year old girls who are buying it as well, but it's, it appears that most of the fans are. And, and 29 year old yeah. girls. Um, but even you're not really the right demographic. You're just enjoying it. But I think, yeah. I think what ends up happening is you've got, you've got men who've been told that here's what you're allowed to like. If you're a comic book fan, you are going to like Witchblade. This is a story about a half naked woman. She's got huge boobs. She kills lots of things. This is your fe- This is your ideal female. And I think that there's a, there's a sense with squirrel girl of no, this is different and I'm going to like this. And, and you know, in much the same way as people want representation when, you know, like why is Ms. Marvel popular? Why is Miles Morales popular? I think there's also a, mm-hmm. Maybe this doesn't represent me, but maybe I just want something different. Well, I think it. That's, that's, I think it's part of the thing about cute, though. Cute can represent you regardless of your gender. That's true, Tim. Like I identify with cute things, and part of it is yes, because like what I was saying, it's like probably because I'm female. That's a historical connection. That's a thing that I'm encultured for. But also, just like I like silly things. Mm-hmm. I often, I often state that my greatest ambition in life is to be a cartoon when I grow up. I mean, like the. <laughs> most popular thing on the internet besides porn probably is like pictures of cats and like Ugh, everybody loves cats and bunnies and, and babies bunnies. and otters and, and like I mean, yeah, yeah like i like yeah. every time a baby panda happens in the world like <laughs> the internet I mean, like, stops 
hedgehogs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, because it's like, I mean, I will say this about, and this is something that a lot of the, the cute scholars we've mentioned, like, address. There is an element of, like, I don't want to say escapism because I think escapism has like a very negative connotation Mm -hmm. to a lot of people. And like, I have issues with it for various reasons, but there is, I think because of that nostalgia factor, there is, there is this kind of like, ah, eye bleach (laughs) aspect to cute. Like, and that's not like with everything that's cute as we've mentioned, but like there is this aspect of just like, okay, the world is hard right now. I need to look Mm -hmm. at pictures of cute, fluffy bunnies. Because this is therapeutic. Look, sometimes nice. you just need to be reminded that the world isn't 100% awful. <laughs> well, and I think that there's actually something to that. It's like the, the idea that being an adult, being serious and being taken seriously involves like denying that kind of like need. Mm-hmm. Like denying, because I think like when, when, when we're sitting there like looking at like cute bunnies and stuff, there is this element like I think Mav, you mentioned like stuffed animals and stuff and like comfort. Mm-hmm. Like need like needing comfort, needing like a break from like a, like the world and uh, all of its stuff um, and bills and things <laughs> and like. But I think that there's an idea that like, well, if you do that, it'd be the same thing with escapism. Actually, like if you do that, you're somehow less serious. You're somehow not like living in the real world. Mm-hmm. And we kind of like assume like, oh, real adults don't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I think like, and like even I mean, even if you go on Instagram, like people are often kind of like ironic about their love of cat videos. Like I am not ironic about my cat videos. I, I'm fully in love with I wonder if they really videos. are ironic or they just say that in order to protect yeah, I think, themselves. I think, that there, I think, well, yeah, I think that there's a certain like guilty, like not exactly guilty pleasure in the same way as like trash TV. We often talk about it, but I think a similar thing. Okay, well, like, yeah, like, I mean, okay. Time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm just going to confess this to the internet, I guess, but I still have a lot of my stuffed animals from when I was a kid, um, especially a couple that like, have specific emotional meaning and i mentioned it to someone and they made fun of me because you're i'm because mm-hmm. uh excuse me i still have my rabbit its name is the bun of e yeah and I, it's bent on world domination i'm so of course you know, it is I, <laughs> are we surprised also i will say my dad had his head had, had his stuffed rabbit sitting on his his desk all the way through his phd in electrical engineering so anyone who says stuffed rabbits and other stuffed animals are incompatible with intelligence and seriousness and all of this stuff. Uh, I was just commenting on the world domination part. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. I was, I had a psychiatrist tell me when I was a small child that I would probably grow up to be a benevolent dictator. Mm, yep. Yeah. But you know, like Which surprises no one. Benevolent. <laughs> 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 to grow up, you know, I mean, not that I have. <laughs> I, I realized <laughs> growing up is lame. You grow up. Whatever that means, you you get your. I know, I'm not convinced that people actually do. You no, know, I, I I realized that growing up meant I could just do whatever I wanted within reason, and I did it. Now I'm happy. Um, but but if you like follow some sort of stereotypical growing up thing, you get your suit that is of a reasonable color according to like some logic that makes no sense, and you dress professionally in a certain way, and you wear makeup but not too much makeup or too loud makeup or whatever. Yeah, you have to you have to wear the right kind of makeup. It can't be colors because if you wear pink, yeah. that's too cute, and that's yeah, not yeah, what yeah. we're going so for. So then you do brown. all this, 
And then suddenly some dude says, well, look at all these women in their same suit with their same makeup, with their same hairstyle. So you can't win either way. So you know what? I'm going to wear my glitter converses and have my cute fox sweater and have my teddy bear and my cats and it's fine. Whatever. <laughs> rage. Yes. Because cute rage is also a trope. We have cute about. rage is my favorite. <laughs> Agri Suko, I if you haven't watched it and you need like a nice delightful short anime to watch please do it is it is delightful i identify with it between i think that and uh help us great warrior like the two representations in media that i identify with the most hmm. anyway on that exciting so, note no so we, we resolved nothing? nothing i feel like this was like an hour of hannah and i'd be like cute stuff uh, we resolved it cute is good well cute is good and I don't think we've quite figured out. We, we've talked about a little bit about what it is and why it works, but I, I think we've got another one because one of the things that I wanted to talk about was uh, we talked a little bit about the violent perversion right. of cute, but I wanted to go more into there. And I also want to go into the sexual perversions of cute because we, you know, we were planning, um, we were going to talk a little bit about Lolita culture and everything, which is. A, yeah, I a think that we have people. I think that needs to be a whole episode. Yeah. And also, if, if you uh, guys know anyone who does like manga or anime uh and not just watches it beyond the show we would love to talk more yeah yeah because like i have i mean that's one of the things i was thinking about even when may talks about like the two centers of cuteness globally are the united spit dates and i think japan and i was like i don't think of the united states as like i mean some aspects clearly but like i ha, the, no like Oh, I disagree. Oh, see, oh, see, now we, yeah, we definitely need to do an episode. But I think there's a very different outlook on on the way Japanese represents cuteness versus the way um, America do. And there are other, I mean, particularly if you look at like comics, there's like. You know. I think also part of it maybe like I grew up on the West Coast where like mm -hmm. access to Japanese, like a lot of cities in Oregon are like sister cities with Japanese cities. Mm -hmm. So like cute stuff was all over, but it was mainly Japanese cute stuff. Yeah. So I'd be curious to know what like other people's experience because like. Most of my cute stuff growing up was like Hello Kitty and Sanrio and basically all a lot of it came from Japan and I was super into manga because of course I was that nerd yeah. kid. So we definitely need to do a follow-up to this episode. We need to do a Jap an episode yeah. on like Japanese oh, culture and stuff that I know nothing formally about. So <laughs> please, listeners, please help us. Please. <laughs> <laughs> or just become one uh, conveniently yeah well if you and if you have one you can always you know write us you know we give our handles at the end of the show let's uh let's do that let's close out the show so uh katia you go first where can people find you uh as always you can find me on instagram at just that nerd kid i do occasionally post cute things actually yeah especially my stories yeah i was gonna say cat. your instagram is nothing but you, well again uh, yeah cute cute pictures of cat and also Sewing, dress form, sewing, dress form, dress, sewing, dress form. <laughs> um, and and dice lately yeah. in some odd. <laughs> uh, actually, I will say my D and D character is very cute and is actually a perfect encapsulation of many of the things we've been talking about because she is a gnome who is often mistaken for a child, but is also a barbarian, which means she murders handily with the axe. <laughs> And this has become a great tactic because everyone's like, oh, harmless little child is like, oh, machine of death. Yeah, we need to address this. So <laughs> as Katia gets there, Hannah, what about you? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Hannah Lee Rogers. And I guess if you want to follow me on Instagram to see cute pictures of cats and the occasional dog that isn't mine, you can follow me on Instagram at Hannah Lee Rogers. But on Instagram, there's only one H because 
the handle I wanted was taken. There's so. another pal- another palindrome handle Rogers out there somewhere. Like, <laughs> yeah. No. Okay, it's weird. But like somehow Instagram generated an account automatically for me because like the other hand, Lee Rogers has my photo on it or someone's pretending <laughs> to be me. I don't know what, but I didn't create that account. Are you serious? Yeah. That's weird. They're pre- Wait, what? Yeah, I don't know. Okay. So there's two Hannah Lee Rogers. It's on Instagram last time I checked. Okay. Now we've just, we've just proven Hannah, Hannah is a time traveler. I was going to say clone. That's the only one. <laughs> no, time traveler. Works for me. Yep. She's a time lord. Hannah, you're a time lord. Yes. Uh, <laughs> okay, you can follow me on Twitter crazy. at Chris Maverick. <laughs> you can follow my blog at www.chrismaverick.com where occasionally I even write stuff I did this week. You can follow the show's blog at www.voxpopcast.com where, as we said, we will post information about upcoming episodes. You can also follow us on Twitter at Vox Popcast or on Instagram at Vox Popcast. Um, and if you are enjoying the show, uh, do us a favor. Subscribe to us on iTunes or Spotify or Stitcher or wherever the hell else you get podcasts from. And do us a favor. Uh, write us a five-star review, particularly on iTunes. That helps people find the show by tweaking the algorithm and telling people how in, you know how important we are plus we just like to read them makes me feel good cute we are i'm cute seriously look at the picture i'm wearing the cat ears i wasn't joking he's wearing the cat ears i'm amused and disturbed there'll be a picture in the show notes i would like to thank maximilian of thought form music for our epic theme song building ever so more epically and playing us out we'd like to thank you once again for listening and we'll see you next time bye bye always wanted my own little bunny rabbit. I will name him George, and I will hug him and pet him and squeeze him. I'm not a bunny rabbit. And pat him and pet him and... You are hurting me. Put me down, please. And rub him and caress him and... I am.